Good morning to our loyal WFYL listeners around the world. Welcome back to your Philadelphia Friday, only on Fox News Radio. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in once again, because you still have the right to hear and the right to be heard. We're here with you on 1180 AM and broadcasting real time at 1180WFYL.com. Coming to you straight from the birthplace of liberty here in the greater Philadelphia area. And we continue to fight day in and day out as your voice of freedom in the Delaware Valley. I'm attorney Mike Giramita from Giramita Law Offices, but everybody knows me as Mike G., And you're listening to Mike G in the morning with The Law Matters. And you can listen to our program every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Only on Fox News Radio. WFYL. So let's be heard. I want to dive right into it today. We've got a very special guest joining us this morning. And the way I see it. It's a little bit like old school television. You see, when Philly Chris was a kid, he used to watch shows like Archie Bunker, right? All in the family. And who would show up at Archie Bunker's house? They'd have George Jefferson, right? The Jeffersons. They each had their own shows. There's a little bit of crossover. So today, we've got a very special guest, constitutional instructor, as I like to call him, Professor Phil Duffy who's got a background in economics, and he's going to explain some very important things to us. Phil, are you with us? I am here. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited and looking forward to this. You know, uh, Philly Chris also has a background in money management, I suppose you would call it. Philly Chris, is that fair to say? I did play a lot of Monopoly as a child, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, so you're good to go. That's all you need. That's right. That's right. uh, uh, Phil, why don't you you put him to shame? Phil, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got involved in economics. Okay, fine. I I was a geology major, and uh, after that uh, didn't go anywhere, I I switched (laughs) over to to business and took uh, several economics courses, got some classical uh, economics background. And then uh, after uh, leaving the service, I, I uh, was uh, interested in going back to graduate school and had two offers, one from Columbia and one from NYU. And NYU outbid Columbia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were smart, weren't they? They were wise. Yeah, there, there's a little <laughs> twist on the truth. Uh, the Philadelphia but, sweepstakes they had going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in any case, uh, uh, I, I concentrated in something called international business and economics, uh, a dual major. And uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed it very, very much, particularly a course called Comparative Economic Systems. So uh, that's kind of a specialty of mine, comparing economic systems like uh, socialism, fascism, and all the rest of that. But uh, I had to take uh, a course under my uh, thesis advisor. That was the last requirement uh, before graduation. And um, he happened to be a Keynesian economist. Now, I looked at Keynesianism, and with the little economics that I knew at that time, I said, something's wrong with this. (laughs) Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to go really very much into the weeds here today. And I'm excited because this is certainly not my background. So I I love to hear folks like you who are uh, so knowledgeable on this particular topic. Now, with that being said, now, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to pay attention to the economy. It seems to be something very important to voters. But do you think that Americans in general know enough about the economy as it stands? Well, to begin with, uh, everybody has to know enough about uh, economics, basic economics, in order to survive in life. So uh, that probably goes all the way back to the uh, the beginnings of, of man. And and certainly I, I can't picture everybody sitting around uh, waiting to figure out what form of government they should have. And then after they've uh, selected a form of government, they wait another period until such time as somebody comes up with a five year plan. And then they're, mm-hmm. you know, 
then we're off and running. <laughs> so, so I think it's it's uh, a little bit more than that. Uh, there there is a specialized area, really. When we talk about economics, uh, we're kind of glossing over uh, the fact that it's a broad field, and uh, uh, really, what we're concerned about in the political uh, sphere, if you will, is something called macroeconomics or uh, economic policy. That's the one that really uh, uh, we we all need to know. And unfortunately, I would say no more than 5% of us have had any real exposure to it. Sure. So if somebody does want to take us take it a step further, learn more about this, uh, what should you learn first about it? And what are some of the basics? Well, first of all, there there are several schools of economics because uh, or macroeconomics because it interfaces with politics. And needless to say, when you have politics, you have contending points of view. So on the one hand, you have Keynesian economics, and on the other, you have free market economics, or curiously, something called Austrian economics. So definitely, that is the area that uh, uh, I pursue, that I am most interested in. But of course, I have to know a lot about Keynesian economics in order to to counter the the, the, uh, falsities in that. There is a third school. It's associated with Milton Friedman. It's called the Monetarist School or the Chicago School of Economics. And to keep this simple, let's just think of it as Keynesianism light. And we can get into that in deep, uh, more deeply if you wish later. But nonetheless, those are your three schools. And so you're, you know, every individual is really conditioned, whether they know economics or not, uh, along these three lines. So what's the basic principle behind Keynesianism? Well, to keep this simple, what I would say is that uh, you could either call it Santa Claus economics or you could <laughs> – or uh, – yeah, uh, it, it's like it, it's almost like uh, a whole bunch of really complex stuff, uh, but it's only part of the story and it's not human nature. It's really, um, in addition to the Santa Claus thing, the idea that money grows on trees mm. and money drives everything. Well, we know that money does have an effect, but really money is secondary to real wealth. That is the perspective of the Austrian economist or the free market economist. So with these people who take the position under Keynesianism, is this all based around something like a fiat currency that isn't backed by something like gold or anything of that nature? Uh, Yeah, I think it has to be because uh, uh, (laughs) I'll try not to get into Keynesian uh, terminology here, but they they had this idea that there are so-called exogenous and endogenous uh, injections into the economy, injections Mm. being injections of money. And the basic idea is that the endogenous comes from within the economy itself, and the uh, exogenous is from the outside. You know, magically, this is is created, and you inject this money into the economy, and all of these great things happen. Well, you and I know if if we receive a check in the mail for $1,200, we're going to spend it. So basically- (laughs) That's Keynesian economics. And I think the, the problem that I had with my professor was that uh, I had written a term paper in which there was a real uh, exogenous um, uh, experience that the world had gone through. It was called World War II and the Soviet occupation of Eastern Europe. And basically what they did was to steal all of the property of the, uh, the Germans and take it back, and and the Eastern uh, European nations as well. They took it back, and in effect, that became an injection into the Soviet economy. Mm-hmm. And through a kind of a rippling effect, and there are numbers associated with this. This is all very mathematical. Uh, with the the numbers associated, you know, they they really create quite a a push in the economy. And in those days, and this was the uh, I'd say the early 1960s. In, in those days, uh, Khrushchev was uh, saying that he would bury us, and all, all socialists believed that they would bury us. But a lot of American economists thought that we would be buried because these people had planning on their side. And so uh, I submitted my paper, and uh, my, my advisor was not pleased. He awarded me a C+. Plus, ah, oh, uh, what a bum! <laughs> what a oh, bum! Geez. But in the long run, he did me. A, he did me. And by the way, 
Um, the situation turned out exactly as I had predicted. I had used the Keynesian uh, formula to predict that in eight years it would run out of gas, and mm. it did. Oh, nice. It wow. Did. Uh, so, and I think I in think order to inject old. money into the economy, though, you're saying that it has to it has to have a fiat currency system, right? So, at the most basic level, if you've got currency that's backed by something like gold, which is a finite resource, you've only got so much of it, right? You you can't right. just make more of it by imagination the way they do with money. Then you can't just inject money into the economy if it has to be backed up by something. So. Um, is, is that the principle behind it in my layman's terms? <laughs> well, no, you, you've, you've raised a great point and, and that is, you know, you, you mentioned gold and, uh, in that case, it's obvious that, um, if you're going to inject some gold into, uh, one group, let us say, uh, who are favored by the politicians, you have to take it away from somebody else. Mm. Now it gets cloudier as soon as we start to talk about fiat currencies, um, the uh, the monopoly money that was referenced earlier, uh, you know. Right, right. I, are I we, have some here, yeah. I was going <laughs> to do some quantitative easing with it, Phil. Can I do that? Can I use my monopoly money to do some quantitative well, easing? Everybody else is doing it. You might just as well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, the, you know, the, the, the effects are more subtle. They're not as obvious, but it is still the same. With fiat money, I don't care whether it's fiat money or crabgrass, you know, uh, it all turns out to be the same. Whatever your medium, medium of exchange is, you're taking wealth because fiat money, any kind of money, is nothing more than a claim on wealth. It's mm. not the wealth itself. So what yeah. happens right. – I'm sorry. No, go what ahead. Go ahead is that, yeah, what happens is that um, – the fiat money actually is a redistribution of wealth in, in the economy. Is that because the more that they, quote unquote, inject in, the less valuable other money becomes? So you had this money in your hands and then the government did something that made it less valuable? Is that part of uh, it? Yeah, that, that's a part of it. It's not all of it. Uh, there, there's something called the Cantillon effect. And, um, again, we're going to try to avoid terms, but uh, Richard Cantillon is just a fascinating character, and I hope I get pressed on, on him a little bit later on the show. But nonetheless, what Richard Cantillon uh, identified in the early 18th century, by the way, before Adam Smith, he identified the fact that the first receivers of money are the ones who benefit 100%. And that, of course, mm -hmm. the additional money supply creates a push on the prices. The general price level goes up. Just the creation of money itself is something called inflation, but there's a general price level that is a, uh, an effect of, of inflation. And so the people who are last in line uh, are the losers. Mm -hmm. They have less claim to wealth mm -hmm. because uh, what happens is that, let us say, their dollar – and this is happening right now, by the way, their dollar in in five years as a result of the, the biggest bailout in our nation's history may be worth 50 cents. Well, somebody at the front end gained. And by the way, they would not have gained except the fact that Congress passed some legislation that said these people will benefit. Well, how do you pay them? You pay them in current dollars, even though it's fiat money. Mm -hmm. But the people... Poor people at the end. And that would they be lose the, the Fed, the Fed and the banks probably benefit. They they're in collusion. You know, they they do it together. Yes. You know, it's it's almost like the shell game. You know, you think you're you you can find where the P is, you never find it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so with, with the fiat currency, the the dollar is a piece of paper, and it's really not backed by anything tangible, right? So if our fiat currency collapses. Could gold or cryptocurrency be some kind of alternative, or is there any other alternative that people should start looking at? Well, <clears throat> there are alternatives, of course, and hard hard currency over time, gold and silver in particular, have stood the, the test of time. Um, however, if all of that went away, let me point out that the economy would not be totally broken because, you know... Nature and nature's God, this is a part of the natural law. Uh, we all have uh, different talents. And as a result of that, we are all not equal, by the way, in spite of what Jefferson uh, tried to convince us of. Um, so we have something called a division of labor that results from these inequalities, if you will. 
And it turns out to be a great thing because we specialize, you know, some people specialize in law like you do. And uh, I specialize in doing the dishes, which I'm very good at. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the economy benefits. That's the point. And so, you know, um, that's that's why we have this division of labor. And uh, it would it would uh, it would still take effect. Um, and we have examples in the past. I mean, people used seashells at one time for, for currency or cows. And cows were a little difficult right. to fit in your pocket. So, you know, we went to something that was a, le- a little more uh, transportable. Should we start collecting seashells maybe? Maybe it'll come back. Maybe it'll make a comeback of some kind. I, have a, <laughs> well, I, I, should, I should make I've been a, waiting for that to come back. I got a whole set of them. Yeah, I, <laughs> I should you know, state a proviso here, uh, particularly since Philly Chris is on the, the uh, air with us here today. I am not a money manager. Hey, my, gotcha. Okay. My son <laughs> is a money manager. And if I could put in a plug, um, by all means, if you want to get that perspective, um, take a look at um, the uh, coffee can portfolio. Uh, it's a, a newsletter a subscription newsletter, but there is a website that's associated that's non-subscription. Uh, uh, and you'll find some fascinating thoughts in there uh, that ultimately lead to investment. My area is uh, my area is really theory, if you will, including uh, business cycle theory mm. uh, and also economic history. Um, uh, economic history is fascinating. You know, where did economics come from? What are the lessons that are taught? How can we benefit f- from them? Of course, we ignore all of them so that we can repeat them. Sure, sure. Coffee can portfolio. Be sure to yeah. check it out. Now, Phil, yeah. you know, the major political I parties claim to bury about the shells. What's that? Oh, sorry. I just sent your son an email about my shell collection to see. Oh, if okay. Exchange <laughs> that for some gold. <laughs> the two of you ought to get in touch with each other because he's he collected some yeah. seashells. There was there yeah. you go. Sounds like a Excellent. sound investment. <laughs> yeah. So what I was getting to yeah. is, you listen to these major political parties, the Republicans, the Democrats. Uh, they claim to vary dramatically when it comes to their stance on economics, but I've noticed there are a lot of Democrats on Wall Street and other big businesses. Is this really a political issue? <laughs> well, if it is, it's certainly not between the Republicans and the, the Democrats. And, uh-uh. uh, and I, I have to say it's, it's not between the conservatives and the so-called liberals. By the way, I am a liberal, but I am a real liberal, uh, which is the opposite of a modern liberal, which really is a progressive socialist. Did we get all of that on tape? Absolutely. I mean, I know, we probably have lost our audience as soon as we're going to take the clip about you being a liberal and we're going to post it all over the place. <laughs> well, I have to I have to achieve notoriety somehow. <laughs> they can have you on CNN and MSNBC in no time, Phil. Yeah, yeah. there we go. But in any doubled case, our audience. Yeah. But in any case, uh, uh, you know, the the differences between the two two points of view, Republican and Democrat, if you will are so slight as to be ridiculous. Now, I'm going to give, some, give you some mathematics to back this up. Go back to the CARES Act, which <laughs> really should have been renamed as nobody cares in government. Uh, but a- in any case, <laughs> uh, look first at the Senate vote on that. Now, this is the biggest bailout in our nation's history at a time when we had already achieved the, the greatest um, annual deficit in the budget. Okay, this is on top of it. Okay, now, who voted for and who voted against? Nobody voted against CARES, including our president, you know, who was promoting it, along with Nancy Pelosi. Now, they're strange bedfellows. (laughs) (laughs) But in any case, uh, you know, there are really two people, I think, two or maybe three people who did not vote for CARES. One is Mitt Romney, and he was at home in quarantine for COVID-19. But we have because of a principal thing, right? <laughs> not, not in his case, it wasn't. No, definitely not, because, you know, he really benefited from uh, the, the prior bailout in 2008 and 2009. So he's a bailout guy. It's just he couldn't he couldn't get to the, the mic to record his vote. 
But in any case, the, the other person was Rand Paul. And uh, hmm. Rand Paul also was quarantined. Um, but hmm. Rand Paul has come out subsequently and definitely um, come out against CARES as, you know, the huge bailout and the huge uh, redistribution of wealth that's occurring. Now shift to the House. The House of Representatives had one man, also from Kentucky, by the way, Tom Massey, representative for uh, a district in Kentucky. And he had he did this horrible thing. He raised his voice and said, we shouldn't do this you know, with a voice vote. By the way, all of those beheadings in the, the French Revolution, they were done by voice votes. So you get a sense for the, the virtue involved in this kind of thing. But in any right. case, they hooted him out of town virtually. Mm. Everybody on both sides mm. of the aisle. Mm. Now, are you counting? Because this is a mathematical exercise. How many people can you count in the Congress of the United States? There are 535 of them, okay? How many can you count that really opposed? At the present, 536. 536 to one. Wow. Uh, mm. There is no wow. difference between a Republican and a Democrat. The difference, no nope, hmm. difference in principle. There's only a difference in amount. Now, are we seeing this in other governments in history, though? Oh, we see all kinds of crazy behavior. In it. I mean, you go back to the French Revolution <laughs> and uh, the fiat money. They had they had a lot of fiat money uh, that they they created. It ultimately took them down, but uh, they had a, a a great scheme. First of all, they figured, well, we don't have the money. We they had financial problems going into the French Revolution, by the way. But uh, nonetheless, you know, wh where were they going to get the money? Well, th they, had to, they had to get an oppressor. And, uh, of course, they had a victim class. That was a big victim class. That was no problem. So they, they turned on mm. the church. And the church and, and the government at that time, which was monarchy, were very close. You know, they, they, the government even paid salaries, I think, for the, uh, for the clergy. And so they decided that they would just um, they would steal all the church's money, all their wealth. The problem mm. was, oh wow, yeah. How do you translate? How do you you know translate that into something that can be distributed to the masses? Well, they solved that by creating some fiat money, which were claims that could be made, but you know, with time reservations and so forth. Um, and they, they created a fiat currency called the uh, Asignat. Um, and <clears throat> basically, what they realized was, even though they had all of this wealth that they had stolen, um, it wasn't enough. Because they were, mm. they were giving money to everybody, you know. And um, they weren't producing much. They were spending all their time in the streets uh, demonstrating uh, have you seen that movie play again here? And so um, right. they, they basically said, well, we've got to issue more ASIC yachts. And they, uh, they just continued to issue them, and, and they, they destroyed the currency. So this is, this is not well, a new isn't, thing. Isn't it true, Phil, that throughout history, pretty much every fiat currency, I, I don't know the exact number, but I think there was over 4,000 if you look back throughout monetary history, and they eventually all – collapse, right? Um, I mean, eventually ours will too. Do you think there's any chance that Trump might try to get us off of a fiat currency and maybe he would do that during his second administration? Do you think that's something he could be working on behind the scenes? Have you heard anything about that or what are your thoughts on I, that? I haven't heard anything about that. Uh, I, I, certainly, okay. I certainly hope that he would because the chickens will come home to roost during his second um, administration if he's elected. There's no question about that in my mind. Uh, and that's why I feel that there has to be there has to be a, a fundamental change in thinking uh, amongst um, the non progressives, if you will, uh, in the, the citizenry. They have to they have to understand macroeconomics and they're going to have to learn macroeconomics in a hurry or we are headed for real disaster. Right. Now, well, shifting Rome, gears, of, uh, something about did I hear something ahead, about Rome in the background? Oh, go ahead. I'll let him. Well, I was. I was 
I was going like, you know, I've, I've read some things about the, the currency and when they started nipping their coins, for example, and melting yes. them down and making yes. additional coins, that was really the end of Rome, right? That's when it started, right? Um, that's when it started. And uh, I teach a course uh, called Whatever Happened to Penny Candy, which identifies what happened to the denarius, which was their uh, silver-based uh, currency. And, you okay. know, just like, just like ours – it, it really went to hell in a handbasket uh, over time. Yeah, right. But, um, right. you know, at the end, it gets worse. You know, it, it's an exponential mm-hmm. curve. And uh, um, Diocletian, you know, has, has got a great reputation, particularly amongst uh, uh, socialists. But uh, Will Durant has a great, great uh, section in, in his book about uh, Caesar and Christ, uh, about uh, the socialism of, of uh, Diocletian. And basically what happens okay. is that I think within about 125 years after that socialism and, and you know, you have all the coin clipping and all the rest of it uh, at that point. It's mm-hmm. just there are economic laws and they're violating economic laws. And ultimately, um, Rome was destroyed from within. You know, yeah, they, we had the, uh, the barbarians at the gates, but they would not have been at the gates if it had not been destroyed from within. So your point uh, right. is very, very much on target. Now, Phil. Yeah, thank you. I yeah, shift- I just feel like we're kind of. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Phil, I want to shift gears here. I want to fast forward to the present, and even after the pandemic and all. And we remember before Donald Trump got elected, the Democrats were talking about if he gets elected, the economy is going to go in the toilet. Everybody's going to lose all their money in the stock market and all. That just hasn't been the case as far as the market goes. But what I want to know is, we see it today looking like a runaway train. Can it stay this high, or do you think that there's a possible correction or even a depression heading our way? Well, uh, yeah, we've learned the hard way in this household about uh, predicting highs. Um, you know, if, if you know it's coming uh, and you're, you're absolutely sure, the one thing you're missing is when it's going to happen. You know, mm. when does the uh, uh, musical chairs thing uh, come to an end? So you can't tell when the end is in sight, but the the symptoms, you know that it's it's – it's going to come in, let us say, the second administration of, of Donald Trump. Uh, don't confuse uh, a healthy economy with a healthy stock market. I mean, right. the stock market really, uh, uh, you talk about your bigger firms, the public firms and so forth. And really, um, if you look at uh, health in life, uh, it comes from the young. I mean, the, the herd, our human herd, um uh, is rejuvenated with new births constantly. Well, mm-hmm. what tends to happen with these these bailouts is that uh, you know some of these zombie firms are maintained that should die. Dying is a good process in economics. Um, you know, you, you have bankruptcies; those are really good things in the sense that they they identify uh, unhealthy spots in the economy. Those firms go out of business. Uh, uh, there are various kinds of, of bankruptcies. You can have liquidation, but even liquidation, uh, yeah, the jobs are temporarily lost, but they go elsewhere ultimately. Um, but you can have the liquidation is, is freeing up resources that could be put under more effective management and can be more cost effective overall. Now, with reorganization, uh, the court judges that uh, there is some value, ongoing value to the firm if it has new management. But basically, those are healthy processes. So we shouldn't fear bankruptcy. What we should fear is when government gets uh, intervenes, as they did with the uh, General Electric thing. Right. You know, that violated the Constitution, but it also violated economic common sense. Yeah, Absolutely. So what can people do to protect themselves financially in a situation like this where, where you might see something coming? Is there any kind of safe haven, so to speak? Um, there's no safe haven. Um, you know, the innocent gets swept up with the guilty. Uh, we, we saw a little of that, I think, in the two past bubbles that, that burst, the uh, 2008 to uh, 2009 financial crisis, but also the tech bubble. Uh, we saw that. No, you can't. You can't assume that you're that you have a safe haven. Certainly, buying government securities is a terrible investment. I mean, why would you? Why would you? 
what is it, something like one and a half percent that you get and, and inflation is greater than that. So you're basically parking your money uh, with the government and just watching right. it uh, uh, erode away. But now, in general, I think the, the best thing that you can do is to understand macroeconomics. So here's another reason other than responsible citizenship. Understand macroeconomics. It's not difficult. Okay, it's not Keynesian economics is it's <laughs> confusing as all hell, <laughs> but real uh, free market economy, uh, economics, macroeconomics, you know, they make sense. We can learn it. And they're and it's interesting. So once we have the lessons in place, we can we can understand what traps to avoid and, you know, what what better, safer investments to make. Now, one thing I point out, um, if if any of you are familiar with the, the mathematical concept of, of time series uh, forecasting, the basic idea that if you look at at um, um, like time value uh, of money, yeah, time value of money is is a part of that, I think. But okay. the basic idea is that you can decompose a set of data into a long range uh, factor a cyclical factor, a seasonal factor. So anytime you're looking at at growth or even decline, by the way, uh, you can look at these three, plus there's something called a random idea. Well, as you're looking at an economy, and you know, let us say that you focus every all of your attention on the cyclical part of the of the problem, and you, you realize, wow, you know, we're heading for a total disaster. You have to be careful to weigh the long term you have to see the long-term trend mm. that's positive i mean mm -hmm. technology drives it and what we see if we look at it uh, over the long term particularly since uh, let us say the jefferson administration you know the turn of the uh, the 18th century to the 19th century if you look at the progress that was made and you look at the progress economic progress that was made in the the 20th century we are we are still at the beginning of this. That long term trend is very very healthy. It has kept us alive in spite of all the economic stupidity that that emanates from Washington D.C. and from the state capitals, by the way. So, if someone's just starting to learn, they want to uh, get a strong foundation. Is there a book that they can go out and and read? What, what should they look into to get the ball rolling? <laughs> Well, the, the most logical starting place is uh, Henry Hazlitt's uh, Economics in One Lesson. Um, also, get to know the Mises Institute, which is the worldwide center of free market or what's called Austrian economics. That's a longer, you know, why it's Austrian is, is a longer story. I won't get into that uh, unless you're interested. But in any case, um, I would I would get in touch with the, the uh, Mises Institute and I think the best way to do it is just, you know, look them up on uh, doing a search online, get their telephone number and tell them you're interested in um, economics for beginners. It's an online course that they are have just released. And you'd like to have a free copy of Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. Wow. Uh, Mises, that's M-I-S-E-S. -E is that that's correct? That's correct. Ludwig von Mises. Uh, uh, Came from uh, uh, Vienna, Austria, uh, probably the greatest uh, economist of the, the 20th century. And by the way, he, uh, he taught at NYU where I went, and uh, his existence was suppressed by this professor. Otherwise, I would have uh, studied under Mises. Hmm. Well, Phil, we really appreciate you joining us today. You've been so generous with your time and your knowledge. Uh, really fascinating stuff. We hope to have you back on here sometime to discuss this further. Uh, any parting words for our audience? Stay well. Uh, learn macroeconomics. And the best is yet to come. Excellent. Oh, thank you so much, Phil. Phil, Professor Phil Duffy, uh, Master of Economics. And contributor, we the people, the Constitution matters. Don't forget to stick around for that program. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G in the morning with the Law Matters, only on Fox News Radio, WF.
YL. I want to remind our listeners that you can participate in the free and open exchange of thoughts and ideas throughout the entire week, utilizing the Mike G in the Morning social media profiles. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Mike G in the Morning. Don't forget to like our page. Our YouTube channel is Mike G in the Morning. Don't forget to like our videos and subscribe. Our Twitter handle is at Radio Mike G. And we've also got a page on the Instant Grams website. And our screen name is Mike G in the Morning. I also want to remind our listeners of the powerhouse lineup we've got here at Fox News Radio WFYL. We've got Ben Shapiro bringing you the Ben Shapiro Show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Scott Adams with the Scott Adams Show coming at you weekdays from 9 a.m. until noon. Second Amendment advocate Dana Lash coming at you weekdays from noon right until Ben Shapiro. And finally, we've got Michael Savage bringing you the Savage Nation weekdays at 6 p.m. So don't forget to tune in and show them some love. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G in the morning with The Law Matters. Only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. You know, we've got another very special guest with us this morning. What can I say? We're on a roll. Somehow, I've convinced these highly accomplished, well-respected individuals to join the madness on this program, if not for a few minutes. You know, I'm personally very excited to introduce our next guest, Charlie Giroux, and Charlie's a man who really needs no introduction. If you don't know him, I don't know how you're getting reception to hear this program, because apparently you live under a rock. I mean, people have given him names like Harrisburg's most politically well-connected conservative. He's been called Pennsylvania's most influential man in politics. He's the first vice chairman of the American Conservative Union, and he's held national leadership positions in several Republican presidential campaigns. He's the CEO of Quantum Communications, and he's one of the nation's foremost experts in strategic communications. As a matter of fact, he built the Eiffel Tower with his bare hands, ladies and gentlemen. So, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Duro. Charlie, are you with us? I am. That's a great introduction, just like my mom wrote it. (laughs) Ah, there you go. Well, I've heard that your mom is a supporter of the Second Amendment herself. Is that so? (laughs) You saw the picture, huh? Don't mess with my mom. That's all I can say. (laughs) The pictures don't lie. You got to check out Charlie's social media accounts. He's got his mother up there with a rifle. You know, that's exactly why the Second Amendment uh, exists, right? To protect people like your mother. I love having stuff like that. Now, Charlie, we've got a real treat having you here today because you're a true professional. Uh, You know, what do I know about this politics stuff? I've got a lot of our listeners. They're freaking out because the polls are coming out. They're showing Trump trailing. Uh, The media is saying that Biden's going to run away with this thing. What do we need to know uh, from the the professional perspective? Well, we've heard all that before, haven't we? That the right. whole show that mm-hmm. Trump's going to get cremated and the media just pours gasoline on that little fire. And all of a sudden you've got a huge conflagration and Trump puts out the fire and goes ahead and wins. Look, Trump is right now in a better position than he was four years ago. The indications of his personal popularity are way, way, way up from where they were just a month ago. And all of the trend lines are running his way. And presidential campaigns like sports run on momentum. So that's a very important thing to consider, the momentum. You know, we've got the convention going this week. What did you think about the Democrat convention last week? You know, look, both teams had a daunting challenge to make interesting, you know, a two-hour Zoom meeting or, Mm -hmm. you know, an infomercial, if you will. And I thought the Democrats had pretty good production values as a guy that produces Media, I thought they did a pretty good job in that respect. It was, you know, Hollywood slick. But what you're seeing, are seeing from the Republicans this week are real people with real stories and real love for Donald J. Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a different authenticity, it feels like, with the Republicans. And uh, it seems that that's what won Trump the election in the first place. Hillary was inauthentic and the people saw right through that. Is that fair to say? You just hit the key word, Mike. It really is that simple. It's authenticity. People understand when something is Hollywood scripted. They know when somebody's reading to them off of a teleprompter, reading somebody else's words, by the way. And they know when people are speaking from the heart, 
talking extemporaneously, flubbing it up here now, then every little bit, you know, but real. And the folks this week have been real, authentic, genuine, and deeply and passionately committed to this country and to the Trump reelection. Now, Biden perhaps came off as authentic, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But as we're seeing him today, is he capable of coming off as authentic or is he being propped up by other people surrounding him and and pushing this message that uh, maybe he hasn't even uh, come up with on his own? Well, the difficulty for Joe Biden, to be very blunt, Mike, is that when he's authentic right now, it's really kind of scary. I mean, he mm. has a hard time stringing together a sentence. He does well when he reads off the teleprompter, when he reads other people's words. But that's the end of it. I mean, last night you had Kamala Harris out campaigning for the ticket. Joe Biden still hiding out in his basement. And Nancy Pelosi suggesting that he shouldn't even debate President Trump. So, I mean, mm. you've got real problems with Joe Biden when you get the real deal. What you're getting is a varnish, well-prepared, well-scripted, well-rehearsed, very, very, very sanitized version of Joe Biden. It's not the real deal. So uh, with all that in mind, uh, at what point uh, do we start to feel bad for this guy? I think that's a, a concern from a lot of people. And maybe uh, the Democrats are using it from a strategic perspective, because if someone is seriously ill and they're suffering, you don't want to just kick them while they're down and make fun of them. But the, the fact of the matter is they're running for the presidency here. And this man could end up in the Oval Office if we're not realistic about what we're dealing with. Isn't that true? No, it is true. And I mean, nobody's going to kick him down when he's down. And I think people do understand that he has some serious, serious challenges right now, both mentally and physically. But while they may feel sorry for him or have empathy for him, they don't think that that's the person they want leading the free world and occupying the most powerful position in our land. Charlie, what does America look like in a few years if the Democrats do win this November? You know, it's really, it's to me kind of a terrifying thought. And I've never said that in a presidential election, that if the other team won, it terrified me. But Joe Biden himself may not terrify me, but the folks that he has surrounded himself with, the people that he has thrown in with, the people with whom he has cast his lot are the far left of the Democratic Party. I mean, Bernie Sanders is out there bragging, bragging that his quote unquote radical ideas of just four years ago are now mainstream. Well, they might be mainstream for the delegates of the Democrat National Convention, but they certainly aren't for the folks that I know that live on my street and with whom I work and go to church with, et cetera. That's not the America that they see. They don't want a country that becomes socialist by the inch or by the yard. And as President Trump said so clearly, America will never be a socialist country. Mm -hmm. Well, we sure hope so. We better uh, win that election in November if we want that to stay the case, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's you the know, key. I mean, that those are the stakes on November the 3rd. It's it's no joke. And, you know, the people on the mainstream media want to paint us as maniacs and paranoid folks. And uh, it's not going to be the end of the world. And you're just fanning the flames and things of that nature. But this is a very serious election. There is no two ways about that. Is that, is that correct? Am, am I crazy here, Charlie? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Every four years we hear this is the most important election in our lifetime. But I'm here to tell you, Mike. You and our listeners, this is the most important election in our lifetime. It really is. This is for all the marbles. The Democrats are saying the same thing, but we need to be laser focused on the fact that every single Trump voter has to vote either on November the 3rd or before that. Well, taking that even a step further, I was at a private Second Amendment related event with Donald Trump Jr. a few weeks ago. And his message to the people who were with us is take yourself to the day after election in your mind and picture that Joe Biden has won. And I want you to think about that feeling that you would have. And of course, the feeling I got was sick to my stomach, Charlie. Uh, but he said, take all those regrets that you had. He said that he think about you would be thinking in your head. I wish I would have done X, Y and Z. He said, don't wait till the day after the election to do X, Y and Z. Do X, Y and Z tomorrow. What do you think about that approach? Well said. 
do them now. Vote as early as you can. If you can't get to the polls until November the 3rd, make sure you're there. Make sure your friends, your family, folks that might not have, for whatever reason, voted in 2016. Every single vote is going to count because in these battleground states, Trump won the last time, but by very, very narrow margins. Here in Pennsylvania, it was by 44,000 votes. It's Mm. got to be better than that in 2020. And so every single vote matters immensely. Well, Charlie, we really appreciate your generosity with your time with us here today. Do you have any parting words for our listeners? My parting word, Mike, is thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a defender and supporter of the Second Amendment. Thank you for supporting policies of economic growth and a strong national defense and law and order in our streets and the reelection of Donald J. Trump. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Durow, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G. in the morning with The Law Matters, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. So, Philly, Chris, a lot to talk about in a short period of time, isn't there? Absolutely. I want to talk about this Kenosha situation. And if anybody hasn't seen it, you need to check it out. Videotape of a 17-year-old using a firearm to protect himself from what appears to be a mob of at least, what is it, three, four, five people? One of them yeah, it was hard to keep had hit him of, on yeah. the head, right, with a skateboard yeah, while he was on the ground? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see when you take a look at that video? Uh, you know, it's mass chaos, Mike. It's sad to see all the stuff going on in our country. And, um, you know, I don't want to see anybody get shot, but he was being uh, deliberately attacked by multiple attackers, uh, was hit, you know, multiple times, ended up on the ground and you know, chose to defend himself. So it, it's it's uh, sad, you know, to see these things happening. But that's the current state of affairs in our in our country, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, and even not, not even getting into legal terms is I'm not licensed to practice in that state. Right. But, uh, you know, if we're talking about terms like did he have a reasonable belief that deadly force was immediately necessary to prevent death or serious bodily injury? I'm I mean, what do you think? Answer. <laughs> Let's break it down to the most sure. the most basic level. Right. What do you think was going to happen if he hadn't used deadly force at that point? If he uh, hadn't used his firearm, what do you think was going to happen? Well, you know, there's a chance he would have been uh, seriously injured. I think he probably would have been killed. I mean, I, one of the guys hit him with a skateboard, I think. And, and he had multiple. Head. And yeah, the head and the of the skateboard was on right. the ground. The photo right. that I saw, at least, you know. Yeah. I'm not not saying that I've got all the facts and I was a detective on the scene or anything like that. that and that's something to keep in mind with these cases, that you don't know everything from the outset. But mm-hmm. if we're just talking about this particular snippet, this particular clip that we're looking at, I don't see how anybody reaches any conclusion other than he was justified that this guy had no choice whatsoever, but to use his firearm or else it would have been his life or limb, meaning he would have been in a situation where he was paralyzed or brain damaged, right? Right. And a severe prolonged physical impairment of some kind. If he hadn't used deadly force, I don't know how you reach any other conclusion with this mob of people coming at him, attacking him, not to mention that he shoots the first two guys and the third guy continues to come towards him. I mean, even when this guy's uh, clearly armed and prepared to defend himself, they're still going after him. Are they trying Mm -hmm. to take his gun and shoot him with his gun? skateboard? Uh, Wouldn't wouldn't that be a reasonable conclusion under those circumstances? Yeah, if I was in those circumstances, that's probably what would be going through my mind. Yeah, I mean, it sounds reasonable. From what we know, and I've got to keep referencing that because, you know, something major could come out about what's leading up to that. But think about it. From what we know, we've got that uh, particular clip that we look at and what we're seeing. And you see the media really casting this in a a tremendously different light, aren't they? If you see the headlines before you watch the video, it really poisons the well. Because they say things like, you know, a man on the on the ground starts fi- open firing into a crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't mention in the slightest the fact that you had these people attacking him. Right. And his life would be ended. I want us to understand that we live in the United States of America. 
I'm not and the sure law anymore. does not ever require us to let somebody kill us. Right. Is that a, is that a, a fair enough principle? Well, I think for a few more months anyway, but if you know, yeah. the Biden administration <laughs> wins, they might change Yeah, like that. Charlie said, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I think there there could be a change in the near future. You know, I did notice uh, last night when I was uh, looking at something that there was an image of him captured. A photographer came out, I think, from one of the media outlets and has a picture of him a few hours before doing volunteer work, actually cleaning graffiti off some of the buildings, I believe. It's my understanding. I don't know all the facts that he came from out of town and was there to help and was uh, cleaning graffiti before the incident took place. So um, doesn't seem like a bad kid based on that. You know, I don't think he wow. was planning on shooting anybody. But when someone comes up and hits you in the head with a skateboard and tries to take your gun, you know, you got to do something. Right, Mike? Right. So with the media coming out and trying to paint it a certain way and saying things that are, are grossly disingenuous with these headlines yeah. – uh, there's got to be some kind of an agenda there, right? It, it can't just be some kind of misinformation or they didn't watch the video or they're not right. familiar with the laws of deadly force, right? It can't be that because anybody with any kind of common sense should be watching that video and saying, wow, had that guy not had that firearm, his right. life, his well-being would have been in, in serious, serious danger. And it was the, the last possible minute, right? There was no other choice at that point. So. Right. What is behind this push by the media? You know what this reminds me of, Mike? It reminds me of the uh, Nick Sandman um, student who I remember him, the, the, the guy drumming the drums in his face, and he was sure. uh, there with his high school. And he, he just spoke at the convention this week. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. I did see that. He did such a great job for uh, for being his age and everything. And I believe he just settled a $275 million dollar. Uh, lawsuit with CNN. I, I think I heard he bought Epstein Island, actually. But and, sure and, uh, I, so I think that that was what the lawsuit was over. I don't think that that's what the settlement was. But Yeah, yeah. I don't know what he settled for. Yeah. Good somebody point. wrote an article. I forget who it was, and I should be giving credit, but I, I simply can't remember. But I saw something that said that uh, he was on CNN during the convention bashing CNN <laughs> while being paid by CNN. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, yeah. He'll probably <laughs> be president someday. Yeah. Well, he could be. He could be. But, yeah. you know, the, I think we got a little taste of this kind of a thing during his situation. But now we've got it and the stakes are totally different, aren't they? It's right. not that this kid... Uh, who had to use the firearm as being defamed and, you know, he might not get into colleges and stuff like that. Is they're charging him with murder. Right. Uh, this is an entirely right. different ball game here. So mm -hmm. this is what happens when you allow stuff like that to slip through the cracks and slide through and allow the media to get away with this stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's basically where we are now based on what's happened in the past. And I think to your point, it's taking it to that next level. So. Yeah, it's it's horrible. You know what's going on. I keep uh, checking out the continuous uh, riots in Portland and other places, and you know it's real sad to see our country in this in this situation. So who knows what's next? Unfortunately, in the next few months, right? And and who's to say they're going to stop after Trump hopefully wins? They're not going to probably stop this for no a while. No way. Yeah, right. No I mean, they're not going to just say, "Oh, okay, we're done now." You know, no, we're going to pack up yeah. our tents and go home. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Wait a second. The tent yeah. is my home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, I was down in uh, the city the other day here in Center City, Philly, and they've taken over quite a few parks. I don't know how many of our listeners in the area have actually seen what's going on down by the art museum, but there's several parks there right along the parkway where there's hundreds of tents, and they barricaded it. Um, I actually stopped over there and, and, uh, people got aggressive with me very quickly when I started to take some pictures and, and video for, uh, you know, possibly for use on the show. So I just kind of backed off. It, it got heated very say? fast, but well, I, I have some of it recorded, but I went over there and I actually have a, a friend who has a son with some, uh, substance abuse issues. And I, I found out where he was and he was in one of those parks and I legitimately was going over to see if I could locate him, and as soon as I went up and started taking pictures, they surrounded me, started screaming at me, told me I wasn't allowed to take pictures or video, and I calmly explained to them that, you know, it's a public park, you know, I understand my rights, I'm outside, uh, and then they said, well, you know, what if we start throwing bottles at your head, and I said, okay, oh. well, so you're threatening, you're threatening me now, so I, I actually videotaped him, but I didn't want to escalate it, so I just said, hey, listen, this is why I'm here, you know, I'm trying to find somebody, is there somebody I can leave a number with? 
you know, so it kind of de-escalated at that point, and I went over to the food area because they're feeding these people. I saw some uh, Whole Foods boxes around, which I thought was interesting because they're owned by Amazon. Who knows what that means? But they're being fed. Wow. They have ur- you know urinals, but they have fencing, and I couldn't go in. They wouldn't let me go in. I asked. They've hey, got a you know, border wall. Yeah, yeah, there's a border wall around a public <laughs> they built park. The so. wall. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's an autonomous zone. It's a real autonomous zone right there in the oh. Parkway in Philadelphia. So and there's there's a couple more. Um, I don't Chris, know. I, need I haven't you to seen. Do me a favor. I need you to do yeah, me a favor. Sure. Next time Absolutely. somebody starts threatening you from one of these hippie yeah. communes or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> uh-huh. I need you to immediately after they say, "What if we start throwing bottles at you?" I need you to uh, lay down some bait for them. You're gonna say, okay. you, "You must okay. be a Republican, aren't you?" <laughs> and of course, their response is going to be like, no, I'd never be an evil pig Republican, right? Right, and right, right. Say, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. You. <laughs> just got that for the record. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, the whole Republican Democrat thing, I have this friend of mine. I've mentioned her on the program before. Uh, she was a former Democrat committee chairwoman over yeah. in central Pennsylvania, and she is absolutely unwavering pro Second Amendment. And she's got some very, very strong opinions about what we saw in Kenosha. And she's been writing all of these uh, liberal media pundits the last oh, couple okay. of days, uh, yeah. completely chewing them out for their coverage of this whole thing. So so good sure. for her. Maybe good. it's time that you have some people on the left side of the aisle really realizing, hold on a second, this is ridiculous. I mean, we see guys like Leo Terrell, who is the civil rights attorney, who is... Mm-hmm been on Tucker's show and Sean's show a whole lot lately. Yeah, you know I love Tucker. Yeah. You know yeah. who I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Leo. And it's phenomenal. He's on fire, guys. Probably lifelong Democrat and realizing, hold on a second here. These are not <laughs> the Democrats I used to vote for, are they? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, this it's, it's gotten a different ballgame. Yeah, and I think when Trump says, you know, we've talked about on the program in the past few months, you know, about China and I don't know, you know, it seems like they're not reporting as much of this, but I've been following the military deployments and there's um, huge scale military deployments over to the China Sea right now because of what China's doing with those islands. You know, some of them are man-made, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But, Explain you know, that a little further. China islands and man-made. Tell the audience. Yeah, they uh, well over in the Chinese Sea there, they have taken over some of the southern parts of the the sea. They're claiming it as their own now. There's some uh, good information out online about this, and they're um, they've built military bases on man-made islands. They even have there was recent um, satellite imagery of nuclear submarines going into these islands underneath the surface of the water. So they have underground facilities in the in the area. And when um, fishing boats come from other countries, you know, the Philippines, Japan, surrounding countries, they're um, aggressively booting them out. And, and our, our uh, military ships and airplanes are still flying through there, and we're disputing their claim to the area. But it's getting pretty heated over there. I don't see as much of this as I maybe should you should be seeing reported on the mainstream media. But, um, you know, I don't, I'm not saying it's imminent World War III, but this is the closest we've ever been to having some sort of military true military conflict with China. As a matter of fact, just a couple days ago, they reported that for the first time um, they've been firing lasers into the cockpits of our aircraft, military aircraft that are flying over those islands trying to blind the pilots. So that's uh, that's pretty serious if they downed one of our planes. So just something I've been following. I didn't even plan to mention it today, but since we got on the topic, yeah. Do you think it's possible that we've retaliated and just haven't heard about it yet? I mean, you know, it's possible. I know that, they, you know, there's certain protocols they've told us, you know, about staying out of the water. And if we do enter, we have to go in a straight line and they're zigzagging the ship. So Trump is directing the military or the generals, whoever's in charge of that. You know, we're pushing back on them, which is necessary. You know, I think at this point, based on what China has been doing to, to our economy for, you know, decades. And that's why Trump is, is, is doing what he's doing and pulling the manufacturing out. India is picking up a lot of the manufacturing right now. You know, a lot of the new iPhones are going to come out of India instead of China. So, you know, uh, as we discussed a few months ago on the show, it looks like he may truly be cutting, you know, uh, the majority of all ties. And, you know, the stuff going on with Taiwan where they're claiming Taiwan now and they're arresting people just for protesting. So they're breaking the treaty, you know, from when uh, Taiwan was given back from England. So, yeah, it's getting pretty heated over there. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. So, to, so to if our Uncle Creepy point. wins, what do you think that the impact's going to be <laughs> from that? If Uncle Creepy well, wins, uh, do you 
Do you see us standing up to China? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think as Charlie mentioned earlier, you know, it's the first time he's he's really looked at it such in such a serious way, and I feel that way too. I've never felt so strongly about um, you know an election, and I think we would be you know really truly sold out to uh, to China and these other countries that have a socialist agenda, and we would never have a constitutional republic as we we've known it in the past, and it's a real possibility. So uh, we need to get out there and vote. Yeah. That's right. Think? Get out there and vote. Do yeah, not wait. Tell your friends. <laughs> tell your family. Tell your tell mom. Everybody. Tell your yeah. uncle Jerry. Get out there and make sure you vote. Uh, vote. Vote early. Uh, that's all the time we've got for today, folks. Stick around for We the People, the Constitution Matters. Pastor David Whitney, Professor Philadelphia, I'll be joining as your legal analyst. Stay safe. God bless, folks. We'll always miss you, Ellie. Daddy loves you.